We know that the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirits that we are, we are the children of God. And that's the great means by which assurance comes to us. It's not worked up. It's the personal indwelling work of God the Holy Spirit. It's, we call it the inward witness, the inward testimony of God to all of us who believe. That's uh, Romans 8, 16. It's a nice verse to remember, isn't it? We double the eight. The Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. And there's no clash whatsoever between what the Spirit says in the Word and what the Spirit says to our hearts. And I want to look tonight to words of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 11 and verses 9 to 13. Familiar words, great words about the Holy Spirit. Luke 11 and verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. All right. My first point is this. This promise is made to God's own children. All right. In this passage, we have a wonderful promise, a pearl of a promise, a series of great promises, building up in earnestness and, and affection. I say to you, ask, it'll be given to you, seek, you'll find, knock. It will be opened to everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks the door is open to you. Now, these um, verses don't belong to everybody in Mississippi or everybody in the world. You, you, you mustn't put this verse on the notice board in big letters like some churches have and, and say, ask and it will be given you. The man who walks down and sees that thinks, oh, that's, that's, that's great. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Okay, I'll ask I can have that woman. I'll ask for money to take a holiday in Las Vegas. I ask I'll win the lottery on Saturday because God says, ask and it shall be given you. This is not a promiscuous promise. You see how carefully it's curtailed in our text. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those whose Father hears, who ask him? 
these words are spoken to the children of God, to Jesus' disciples. They're part of a discourse on prayer. He, he's prayed and they're just weak at their knees. Oh, he takes them into the presence of God and he speaks so familiarly and yet so holily, so intimately, so reverently, so powerfully. His prayers are they. There's just a silence. No one wants to pray after he has prayed. And so they let some time go by and they say, teach us to pray. And these are the words then about what the Heavenly Father will do and will do for everyone who is his children, everyone who believes, he says. And if today you're a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your promise if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, if you have received into your heart and into your life Jesus Christ as prophet and priest and king, as your saviour, as your messiah, that you, you've got the right to say to yourself, I'm a child of God. God is my father. And this promise then is your promise it's not the promise of anyone else. It's the elect's promise. It's a promise to the twice-born. But if tonight you, you, you're not there, if you've spurned the invitations and the commandments to come and, and entrust yourself to Jesus Christ, this is not your promise. It's a promise for the sons of the Heavenly Father. It's around the disciples. And there are multitudes of men and women all around us, in our own families, under our own roofs. And they can take no comfort from these words. It's not at all true that if they ask God for something, that God is bound to give them what they ask for. So I begin by saying what claims do you have for God to hear you and God to answer you and God to give what you're asking for? There's a very real possibility that men pray to God and he won't answer them because they're going to consume it on their own lusts. They're asking without tenderly regarding sin and saying, oh, mortify Send the Spirit for me to kill indwelling sin, not for me to feed it with one more titbit to keep it alive. Give me grace to show no mercy to my sin. So God will hear his children because this is a great family promise for the household of faith. When God's children ask for these things, God, God is there. Before they ask, he's send, setting the wheels of redemption and sanctification into motion. The second thing I want to say to you tonight is that the promise is not urging unbelievers to seek 
for the Lord or his promise. I want to give every encouragement to men and women to come to the services. In the hotel where I've stayed, we've been talking to the people at the desk and urging them to come tonight or tomorrow. Maybe one of them will be here and listening to me, and we're so glad. So glad. I hope you'll you'll feel welcome to be with us tonight. Come and hear the word of God preached. Look, Look for a place where your soul will be fed every Sunday. Sit under the best preaching you can possibly hear. It's, it, that's not a luxury. We need it. I need it. I have a wonderful pastor in London. He cares for me. You know, there's an interesting verse in Acts 17 where, where Paul is preaching to the philosophers on Mars Hill and he's speaking to them. And he says, men should seek him and perhaps reach out for him, though he's not far from us. Now, what is that seeking? Well, you know, Athens. Every crossroads, uh, there'd be an altar. On every street, there'd be a temple. There'd be priestesses and priests uh, wandering around and beckoning and inviting people to come everywhere. I see you, you're so religious You're so superstitious, he says, and however you translate that word. He says, seek the Lord. The emphasis isn't on the seeking. The emphasis is on him, this God. So go and look into the building, the altar, and and do they make a fuss? about Jesus? Do they brag about Christ? Are they singing to him? Ah, Are they singing, how great thou art? That's the place to be. Seek. Just don't say, well, all religions are the same and it doesn't matter. It, It matters tremendously. All that were before me were thieves and robbers. We've heard that tonight, haven't we? So you might be listening to a thief, a robber, and you know how sick you are when you come back home and you've been burglared. And how it takes ages to get home. A thief, stolen things. Your grandmother left her rings to you and he's taken you and never see them again. Ah, thieves, they've stolen your soul. They've stolen your mind. Seek, he says, seek. Don't, don't go to any place. Find, listen. Do our men and women love the Lord? Is the gospel exalted? Christ in this place. So, um, I'm all for men asking. Asking for a closer walk with God. Deeper assurance. Greater trust knocking on the door for deeper fellowship with him. And I do believe that in those longings and in those yearnings, 
there is saving faith. There's the possession of Christ's salvation in, in that actual seeking and knocking. Let me, let me test you now on this. Can you say this? Can each of you say this? I'm not sure whether I have him. But I know that if I had him, I'd be safe. Can you say that, you who are, you're not sure whether you've gone over the border in, into the promised land yet? Or, I, I don't, I'm not sure whether I have him. But I know if I had him, I'd be safe. That's a Christian. Only a Christian can think like that. Comfort yourself. Be assured of that reality. You are seeking the Lord. But I don't believe that um, this passage is addressed to unbelievers. And that I don't think our messages seek Christ. I think that the language of the New Testament is quite the opposite. It doesn't show people seeking Christ. It says quite categorically that there is none seeking God. What we find in the Bible is the Lord seeking men and women. I find it saying God is seeking you. He's seeking you in the love of mum and dad. He's seeking you in the testimony of your friends who say, come to our young people's meeting. Why, why don't you come to church on Sunday with me? In the preaching of the gospel, he's seeking you. In the offer of pardon and forgiveness, a free offer. No, I think that's very important. I can't promise to all of you eternal life. I can't do that. But I can offer eternal life to you. If you trust in Jesus Christ, all your sins forgiven and eternal life is yours. I can't promise that to you all, but I can offer. I have good news for everybody in Mississippi. I've got a Savior. I've got a teacher. I've got the Lamb of God. I've got a shepherd. I've got a king. And he's for you. And to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And, you know, you've come under the gospel influence, and here you are on a Friday night, and uh, you're not playing pool in the, in the tavern. You're sitting here with uh, Christian people, and you're listening to the word of how God has loved you to have brought you here tonight. He's seeking you. I'm afraid of what men and women refer to as their seeking. The, the, you know, the teenagers, they've learned the language. You see, they're there every Sunday and they, they hear me and I'm pleading with them and inviting them and offering them and uh, I say, um, how are things with you now, John? Oh, I'm seeking. John knows how to put me off, you see. I'm seeking. Yes, I'm seeking, he says. 
what he's seeking is a better invitation than any that he's had so far. He wants to hear the gospel with more excitement. He's waiting for the hairs on the back of his neck to stand on end. He wants to feel it more deeply. He wants to hear it more persuasively so that he won't have to make this painful, lonely, personal, intellectual, conscience-submitting decision that by himself, from now on, he is going to, every day of his life, follow the Lord Jesus Christ, worship him as his God and Savior, all his hopes resting in what Christ is and what Christ has done. So, you see what I'm saying to you, the Lord Jesus Christ is not an object you have to seek for, like the young people I'm seeking indeed, as though he's lost, as though he's buried away in some mysterious place that he's living in a cave in the Himalayas, and you've got to go to Nepal on a jet to find him, or some distant cell in an island in the South Seas, or uh, behind granite walls in Scotland, some inaccessible, some forbidding spot. It is not true for a moment that the Saviour, that the Holy Spirit of God is so far from you that you've got to seek him, because in the preaching of the Word of God from this pulpit and from all the other pulpits that you go to, which are gospel pulpits, he is near you. In the Word of Faith that we preach, that he's not in the front so that we don't say, come to the front, because the word is near you. It's in your mind, it's in your mouth, it's in your ears, it's there. This Savior is willing to save you. It is there. You don't need to come. You need to bow. You need to receive. Your task and your obligation and your privilege is not to be seeking him and shaking your head and say, oh, oh, it's so difficult, isn't it, to come to Jesus Christ. It's impossible to come to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you that. You cast yourself in all your helplessness on him. Here am I, naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's, that's the only way you can come. You don't need to go away. You don't need to go to Nepal. You don't need to find some, ah, uh, there's a preacher somewhere, and boy, he can preach, and he can make you weep, and he can make you tingle. You're looking for the tingle factor, aren't you? When you say, uh, I, I want to... I, I, I want to seek and find like that. Do you know there is no need for you to leave where you are sitting tonight to submit to Jesus Christ, to acknowledge him as your Lord and as your Savior. You don't have to wait until you get home and close the bedroom door and kneel down. He's not saying to you, start seeking. 
he's not saying go in and 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 in until you find me there. <laughs> he says, I'm here. I'm here, I'm walking the aisles of this church. I'm sitting next to you, I'm nudging you. I'm speaking to you tonight, now. I'm addressing you. Come on now, wake up, listen now. That's what he's saying. He's here because he's seeking for you. Imagine the Lord of creation, the Lord, the cosmic Lord of the universe. He loves you so much he comes here. And he comes because he loves you and he's seeking for your salvation from condemnation. Are you receiving him? Are you going to lay down the weapons that keep him pushing off all the time? He's not saying keep looking for this door that you can walk through and become a believer. The door is here. He's the door. Knock. Push it. Just see if it's locked. Knock. Knock. It opens. It will open to you. The third thing I want to say to you tonight is this. God's children should ask him to fulfill his promises. All right? What, what should we as, as Christians now, what should we as Christians ask? What should we plead? Or what sh should we knock on the gates of heaven? I'm saying this, that um, there are great commandments, aren't there? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't, don't make any idols and worship them. Don't take my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Honor dad and, and mum. Don't lie. Don't commit sexual sins. Don't steal. Don't be violent. Be content with what God has given you. And you see how it's opened up in Matthew 5 and opened up in Romans 12, the law of God. And you say, help me to keep that law. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Forgive 70 times seven. Overcome evil with good. I was preaching in, in Mississippi many years ago now and, uh, in a Presbyterian church and on on the Monday morning, I hurried downtown. The owner of uh, the furniture store there on the declining main street of this little town. He's a Baptist deacon. I knew him and his wife and his daughter, married to a Presbyterian minister. Lovely family. She wrote poems and all. Oh, he, oh, he loved his wife. He printed little books and he would give them out of her poems about family life and so on and we sat there not many people buying furniture on a Monday morning and we sat there and we talked together he said to me oh Jeff do you know what happened on Thursday 
He said, I was on the sidewalk and I was talking to a black brother. And uh, we've been friends for years. He's a fine Christian. We were just talking, having fellowship together. This racist came up. And he stood and he looked at us both. And then he said something despicable to my black brother. I said to him, you apologize for saying that to him. He said to me, you won't find me apologizing to a black epithet. And off he strutted under the rock out of which he'd crawled. Ah, you hate racism, don't you? And oh, I apologized to him, Jeff. Oh, I was so sorry, so ashamed. And I apologize, you know, for oh, all this ugliness. He said to me, it's all right, Jeff. It's all right, he said. It's all right. You know, I'd like to get my revenge on him. And my revenge would be this. I'd be coming back one night into the town here at 10 o'clock and I'd pass his car. He had a flat tire. And he didn't have his jack in the car. And I'd stop my car and I'd get my jack out. And I'd jack up his car and I'd change his tire for him. That would be the revenge. I'd like to get on him. The commands of God, if he smites you on the right cheek, you turn to him. The left cheek also. If he compels you to walk a mile, you, you walk two miles. You don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. And Jesus is talking about the commandments. A commandment. A commandment. You ask God to help you by the Holy Spirit to fulfill his promises. I don't mean that there are promises now um, Do you have a promise? I'm not saying do you have one that zaps you, that grips you, that makes you weep, that makes you weak at the knees. You you get that at times, sometimes you, oh, it's wonderful, this book. It's wonderful. I'm just hearing it being read tonight, John 6, Ephesians 2. Wonderful, the wonderful word of God. Sometimes when you hear the preaching, ah, there's a silence afterwards. People don't get up. They they sit there and they think of all that they have heard. Now, that's not my concern now. In this great inspired word that comes from another better place with its jots, and its titles inspired by God, of which the Saviour said, your word is truth. Is there, in this book, is there a promise? 
And is that promise mine simply because I've repented of my sin and I've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is there such a promise? Oh, yes, you said, of course. (laughs) Of course. There are many, many exceeding great and precious promises. And they're all, yes, and amen in Christ Jesus. And they're mine. And they're yours. And when I worship God, I can pray with the confidence that God will fulfill every one of those promises that he has made to me. And those promises are the limits of God's obligations. He is limited by what he has promised. For example, he hasn't promised that you'll all get A grades in your exams. He hasn't even said that you'll pass every one of your exams. He hasn't promised that I will be cured of every ailment and every disease I contract. He hasn't promised me that I, my marriage won't end in disaster. He hasn't promised me riches. He hasn't promised me marriage. He hasn't promised me children or a long life. He's not promised that I shall see a mighty religious awakening in my lifetime. And where there are no promises, then God has not bound himself to us. But every promise that he's made, he is under then his own obligation to fulfill those promises to us. He will work all things together for our good. He will. Think of it. He will supply all my needs richly. All my needs. According to his glory in Christ Jesus. Nothing will ever separate me from his love in Jesus Christ. I will be able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can learn in whatsoever state I am to be content. He who has begun a good work in me will not do half a job, but he'll complete it in the day of Christ. What he has promised, he will fulfill effectually. And that is what we pray for. When we hear this black Christian, how he's going to respond in getting his revenge, as he called it. Make me like him, Lord. Make me. Make me. Give me a forgiving spirit, Lord. Help me to be an overcomer, Lord. You may ask me for the fulfillment of any promise. You may plead for its fulfillment now. You knock on the door of these promises. That door will be opened to you. And what I'm saying to you is that for every expectation and for all your confidence about the future, you may, you must have a promise. And you can begin to doubt the love of God. You can stop singing, great is his faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, when you discover God breaking his promises. It's not when he fails my expectations. It's not when he does something mysterious. As the Lord said to Peter, what I do you don't know now. But but you'll know. It's all right. You're not going to be twisting your hands for eternity. You'll know hereafter, he says. 
It is not when he fails my expectations or doesn't answer my, my concerns of the muddles that I see Christians getting into. I'm not justified in being angry with him because I don't know why. But when his solemn promises fail, his exceeding great and precious promises, and he's not keeping them any longer, then my will falls apart. It is chaos that is God. So has God made promises about the Holy Spirit? Well, he has. Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters were prophesied. Your old men will dream dreams. Amen. Your young men will see visions. Amen. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out. I will pour out the working class, my spirit. Here's a promise. Old, young, bosses, workers, male, female, I will do it. These are the days of the fulfillment of the promise that he made of the Holy Spirit to Joel. So, what do we do? Well, my, we pray. Look, Lord, at America. Look at Britain. Look, Lord. Only the Holy Spirit. Only a great awakening. Only a the Spirit coming and convicting men of sin and judgment and righteousness. Oh, that's our, our only hope. Is we've no hope in politicians or educational system, in the media, in the presses. None of those things. Our, our only hope is in you. And Oh, we want your kingdom to spread. Oh, we want your blessing to be poured out. It's a barren land. You can make it fruitful. You've done it in the past. And we read Joel chapter 2 and I will pour out my spirit. And then he says it in our text, doesn't he? Which of you fathers, if your little boy comes to you and says, oh, give me a fish to eat, you give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, you give him a scorpion? You never do that. You love your kids. You're evil. Every imagination of the thoughts of your heart is only evil continually. That's the great diagnosis. But oh, you know, because you're made in the image of God also, the tension is there, the spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit, and uh, you know how to give good gifts to your children. I've had help on, I got on the bus early in the morning on, Saturday, on Friday morning in London, all the cars white with frost and the double-decker bus came and I jumped on, joined six people and then the announcement came uh, that the, the road was closed and it wasn't going to the tube station to take me to the airport. I didn't know what to do. Some woman I'd never seen before, she mothered me. 
Now, this is what you must do, she said, and she talked and talked to me, and she told me when to get off the bus, and she showed me where the underground was. Go back one station, and you'll get the, uh, the tube that will take you to the... It was exactly as she said. She'd never seen me. I'll never see her again, but there was a, an earlier grace in the land, an earlier grace in her family. If she wasn't a Christian, it was a mother, a grandmother, when this news came that the daughter or the granddaughter was expecting a child, she cried to God, oh, bless that child, help that child. And I'm the beneficiary on a London bus on a cold winter morning. God knows how to give good gifts to his children. God can strike a strong blow with a twisted stick. And he can use then the folly of kings to bring blessings to his people. He gives this promise. Who does he give this promise to? He gives this promise to those who ask. Ask for the Spirit. What does he say to those who agonize for him? He will give the spirit. For those who are totally yielded to him. To those who are completely dedicated to him. To those who renunciate all sin. To lay all on the altar before him. Body and soul and spirit yielded to him. A perfect consecration of their entire beings to him. Those who struggle for him. Those who ask in intensive and persevering in, in prayer and wear hair shirts and roll along the floor. Those who've fulfilled every condition, ticked every box and cried mightily until they're hoarse and bloodied. They might have the spirit. No, no. None of those things. Ask. Christian, ask. For him, he doesn't have to be wrested out of the Father's reluctant hands, the Spirit of God. You don't have to purchase him by intensity and by shedding blood and by fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and then, well, he'll give you the Spirit. The Spirit is given. It's a gift. God so loved the world, he gave his Son. God so loved the church, he gave them his spirit. It's a gift. I came back from Western Assembly in 64 and we got married and I was candidating in different churches and uh, I got a job as a wages clerk in the National Coal Board. My colliery was Kinhydre. And on Friday then I'd sit in a little box with a little window and they'd come and they'd give me their numbers and I'd give them their money. You know, they didn't say thank you. They didn't say, oh, how wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. They'd worked in the bowels of the earth a mile underground, lying on their sides with picks, cutting out coal and putting it on a conveyor belt. And they worked and coughed and washed the blackness off them every shift. It wasn't a gift I was given them. 
I was giving them what they'd earned by their bloodied sweat. I'm saying to you, God doesn't make us work to have Jesus in our hearts. Think of it. He doesn't make us work to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's a gift. He's a gift. It's received by faith alone. At the beginning of uh, Acts chapter 2, then, the history of the coming of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. you know that? We're not told the church was agonizing. It was meeting all the conditions. It fully paid the price of Pentecost, and so the Spirit came down because of that. There's just one requirement. Don't, don't leave Jerusalem. That was all. Stay in Jerusalem. You stay in Jerusalem, that's all. So they went about their business, they ate and they slept and they washed and they cooked and they met together and uh, not, not today then, they said, because he's coming. He came to Peter not because of works of righteousness, which Peter had done. He came to the 120 not because of their own holiness and merit, not as a reward for three years trying to understand Jesus of Nazareth. He came to them without money and without price as they waited and received him, overwhelmed that they had an assurance that God was in them, the Spirit of Christ was in them. Let's ask God, when you ask God now, without the Holy Spirit, you can't become a Christian. Ask him. Say, I can't get by without the Holy Spirit, Lord. You know that. It's not my wits. It's not my physical strength. It's not my IQ. That's not going to do it. I need your gift. How wonderful that you should give the Son and give the Spirit save somebody like me. The fourth thing I want to say is that God's children should ask for the Spirit to live the Christian life. It's a section on prayer here in Luke. The most difficult thing for a Christian to do is to pray. And if you want to humble a minister, you ask him about his prayer life. He tells them a simple parable to make it come alive, and then he makes these great promises to encourage them. Ask it, it will be given you. Speak to God, it will be given to you. Seek, and, and you will find, knock, it, it will be open to you. And if we are kind to our children, we're reflecting the fatherhood of God and in our own fatherhood and Oh, well then, no. Ask for his spirit. It's a long road. It goes by very quickly. But it's a long road. And it's hard going. And on that road, we have to love God with all our hearts and souls. 
every day, every night. We have to present our bodies as living sacrifices to God every day, every night. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must take up our cross and deny ourselves, follow him, put our footsteps in his footsteps. The Christian life is one of great ethical stringency. It's severe, it's demanding, it's relentless, it's arduous. The burden is hard to bear. And then we who are strong in our local churches find sitting in the pew in front of us or behind us. They're pretty weak. And we have to bear their burdens too. And the Lord Jesus lays on principle after principle, personal life, family life, husbands, wives, children, congregation life, life with your neighbour, life with your enemy. And he tells us exactly what we must do with the watching world. And here are these boys, they're fishermen, they're in their late teens or early twenties and they're hearing this. Who then can be saved? They're saying. And so he says, ask. It will be given you. Seek you, you'll find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. Seek the grace to pray, as I've taught you, to just... He's encouraging them. They look at one another. Their jaws dropping. This life. We forget that the energy to live the Christian life comes to us by the Holy Spirit. We're overwhelmed by our failures. I can't be like the people in, in the church that I've met now. Or they are wonderful people, you know. They're generous, they're kind, they're patient. Their marriages seem so much stronger than our marriage and so on. I couldn't, I, I couldn't live like that. I couldn't be a preacher, could I? Could I? And he knows. We think thoughts like that. And he's encouraging us. With this great promise, he could read their thoughts. Things he's asking of us are impossible. Many left him. So Jesus says, have you thought of asking God to help you? Have you thought of knocking on the door to see if he'll open it and come with his arms outstretched to hug you and love you? Have you tried that? The Christian, the Christian life is not an impossible attainment. You know, he didn't preach the Sermon on the Mount that we just looked at it, thought of it as a super Everest and that we could never climb, just admired it. It's there for us to do. To mortify remaining sin, forgive our enemies, Seventy times seven. It's the only road to glory. And unless we're walking it, we're not going to reach glory. So, our Lord doesn't give this wonderful verse that you all know. That we admire the meditative life, but we live it. Wake up, 
say, Lord, here I am I again. Thank you for another day. Here are my hands. Help me when I, when I type on that computer that I don't go to certain places. Help me. Help me when I write to people, when I hold my wife's hand. Hold no other hand like I hold my wife's hand. Here's my heart. Keep it pure and lovely today, Lord. Here are my feet. May they be swift to serve thee and serve my neighbour. Give me strength for every challenge. That's what this verse is all about. That we are hungry people and thirsty people. We We want to be righteous people. When I was in my first year at college, somebody gave me Lord Jones's studies on the Sermon on the Mount. Ah, oh, I read, I thought, what a wonderful life this is. What a beautiful life the righteous life is. Oh, lovely, there's no life like it. And to preach about it, what, what, what a gift that is. Can you say this one thing I do? Yes, brother. And, and me too, can you say, what, what's more important to you? What's more important than living a righteous life then? What is it? You say, take my life and let my life be consecrated, Lord, to thee. And that doesn't mean we don't go to parties and we don't go to weddings because Jesus did. It doesn't mean that we live in a nunnery. You are the salt of the earth. He says, we're in the earth, we're in the world, not of the world, we're of him. Be a proper Christian boy. Be a proper Christian girl. Don't be half a Christian and half a follower of the world. This promise of Receiving the Holy Spirit has got nothing to do with tongues. It's not nothing to do with being the most eloquent preacher in America. Jesus is not saying you're going to be healed of every illness. You know you won't. There'll be one and the Lord says, I need you and your works to come to me. These promises are not about health, getting a job, getting some recognition energy to keep on left foot, right foot left foot, right foot following on the narrow path that the Saviour has left an example that we should walk in his steps he promises the spirit that's the last thing to say we're living in days of decline days of moral uncertainty new ethical challenges all the time, a feeling under pressure of government forces. Is God the Holy Spirit central to your thinking? What you need is the Spirit of God, he's saying to them. Think about the future. Don't think of it without him, he says. What we need, and what we need more and more, is the Spirit of God to take us and take over us. And, oh, be 
above us and in us and alongside us and underneath us and every proposition in relationship to us. We need his fruitfulness. We need his leading. We need his perseverance. It's not enough to know that we have wise friends and we're sitting under good ministry. We need him. When there's no one else around and we're facing temptation, we need him. Oh, we must have him. The teaching you see in the Bible is not for the small things and we can cope, but for the great things, we need the Holy Spirit. That's not the teaching. The teaching is without him, we can do nothing. And nothing means nothing. Sometimes our praying is a protest against the nature of the Christian life in a fallen world and the experience of heartaches that accompany our pilgrimage and disappointments. And we forget the usefulness of those things, like the thorn in the flesh for the Apostle Paul. God is your father. Isn't that wonderful? He's my father. The father loved me, he adored me when... I went to Philadelphia for three years. Twice a week he wrote me a letter. I have them all. His only child. He loved me. How much more does God love me? Imagine. We have a God who loves us like this. You know, you, your children... Sometimes they don't get on with the teacher. I don't want to go to school. And oh, we, we, we just so pity them. They're unhappy and they don't want to go. And oh, we wish we could give them our wisdom. Our, uh, the sense of our protection and our keeping power. And we don't know quite what to say. God's our Father. And He can do what. We can't for our own children, but cry to God for his help. How marvelous is love. No moods for God. Not unpredictable. Not like Baal gone hunting, gone to the bathroom. No. He's there, our refuge, our strength, our mighty fortress, our God. He commands the Spirit to come into these hearts and their dirty hearts. They are hypocritical hearts. And they, the Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit comes. Imagine you have these wet wipes that clog up the sewers of London, a wall 10 feet high going back 50 yards, blocking the sewers, and the men have to clean it out. Imagine us asking Queen Elizabeth to put her galoshes on and uh, Esther on and a yellow plastic mark and giving her a shovel and asking her to go down into a sewer and start shoveling away this stuff. I never think of that. 
God the Holy Spirit, equal in power and glory with the Father. He comes into our hearts. He's there to sanctify, to purify, to make a fragrant offering pleasing to God. We never do anything perfectly. Through Christ, the Father loves us and smiles and smiles at us. So let me close. For those of you who are Christians and following the Lord Jesus day by day, you need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. You need his graces. You have to go to him. You have to ask him. You have to cultivate a dependence on the Holy Spirit. You have to have communion with the Holy Spirit, with the Father, the economic works that he did, of providence and creation, with the Son, in his redeeming work and in his intercession at God's right hand. You thank him for that and the Holy Spirit and that he sanctifies and he's come into our lives. And you ask him and you say, thank you, Spirit of God. Give me grace to follow Jesus more closely. For those of you who are not yet Christians, still not Christians, you know, you know better than I do who you are here tonight, who are still on the border. I'm sorry this promise has nothing to say to you. You say, well, is there nothing for me? Ah, oh, there are wonderful things here for you. You know, the Lord is seeking you. He's seeking you through a certain friendship. You remember on the Monday you got to the open plan office and uh, the girls were there and they were bringing the newspapers out and they were reading the... the horoscopes and laughing. Ooh, a tall, dark, handsome man is going to come into your life, Maureen. Ooh, and they all giggle, but the next day they do the same. And There's one girl, and she just smiles. She doesn't do anything. And you say to her, did you, did you have a nice weekend? Oh, yes. I was in church yesterday, and we had a wonderful message. We had a visiting preacher, and oh, I was so helped by what he said. Oh, so she's a Christian. You always liked her. And then on Mondays, you'd say to her, did you have a good Sunday yesterday? And she'd say yes, and she'd tell you something. And then one day, you said, you know, we've got a special meeting in the church on Sunday. Would, would you like to come along? And you were hoping she'd ask you. You didn't know that she'd shared your name with her friends. And they were all praying for you. And that was God's love for you. He brought that girl there. And when you went there on that Sunday, you felt you'd come home. And you'd come home. And what we're saying to you is, you come home now. Dad's home, your father's home, you're welcome.
We love you. We're praying for you. You come and begin this great life then, asking the Holy Spirit to help you and strengthen you and overcome temptation and be wise in dealing with mum and dad who are not Christians or your husband who isn't a Christian yet. And ask. It'll be given you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it'll be open to you too. It's open to us. How much more will your Heavenly Father give you? The Holy Spirit. And you ask him. And you ask him now. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for our Saviour. Thank you, Lord, for his wonderful promises. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming into these sinful hearts of ours and cleaning us up. Thank you for your strength and spirit of discernment you've given us, where you've led us. You've not led us into temptation and you've delivered us from evil again and again and when we've fallen, your strength has picked us up and sin has abounded, but oh, your grace far more abundant. Oh, we bless thee, Lord, for bringing us here these days and for us to hear truths that will never pass away. We'll pass away, but your truth forever and ever. These things will be true. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, give everybody here such a foundation on which to live and help us to be the people who smile in the office on Monday and enjoy little things with our friends but can say, oh, we had a conference in our church and I learned things and it was wonderful. And oh, bless our words. Don't let them fall to the ground. Our workmates, the boys and girls on the school bus, people in the form, in the factory. Ah, Lord, please come and save, especially those so precious to us who as yet are unsaved. Please be merciful. Hear our prayers. We beseech you, have pity, Lord, forgive, Lord, save. For Jesus' glory's sake we ask it. Amen.